Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Pastor Brad Starnes, and we are continuing our walk through the book of Ephesians today. And we are still in Ephesians chapter 3, picking up in verse number 8, where we left off the last time we were together. This this is a marvelous passage. Um, when, I, when I think about Ephesians 3, uh, 7 and 8, uh, Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached an entire sermon on just these two verses and wrote an entire book on just this chapter. Uh, that's how deep it is, um, and it's marvelous. And so when I, I get chill bumps every time I read verse 8, um, and I'll explain that as we go, but Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, which, were, which was comprised of Gentile believers, and, of course, Paul writing to them. And so let's just pick right up where we left off. Remember, he's been talking about the church so far, how that God designed the church and built the church, etc. And so let's go to verse number 7. It says, Whereof I, whose I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So we see that Paul's call to ministry was given to him by who? By God. How? By his power. And so Paul was not a minister by profession. Uh, he was a minister by possession. God had called him to preach uh, the gospel. In our day, we have so many people, uh, and they look at the career field, or maybe they're particularly religious, uh, and maybe they're real book smart, and so they stumble their way into a seminary classroom. And as Spurgeon said, they stumble their way into the pulpit, and, uh, and it's disastrous. They were never called to be there in the first place. Uh, we have a lot of mama-called and daddy-called preachers, but very few God-called preachers anymore. Uh, the call to preach and the pastor is a gift, and it's from God. It's not from man. It's, it's not from a denomination. It's not even from a local church. I think we have that mixed up sometimes. We give all the authority to a denomination or a local church, and I'm not against local church authority. But at the end of the day, if God's called a man to preach, God's called the man to preach. And that man is responsible to fulfill that calling according to God, and it is a gift. And that's what Paul had in mind. He said, I was made a minister by who? By God. How? According to the gift of his grace. He saw it as a gift. In other words, Paul said the gift of uh, being called to ministry, to him it was a blessing, not a burden. And I have to remind myself of that so often. And so he says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Paul never forgot where he came from. He said, unto me, it's been given to me, who am the least I'm the bottom. I'm the most unqualified. You see, this shows us something about how Paul viewed himself and how Paul viewed Christ. Paul viewed himself as a sinner apart from the grace of Christ. And that Paul also, in view of Christ, realized that as the psalmist wrote, all good things come from above. Paul did not glory in his man-made qualifications. Paul did not look and say, well, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the seventh day, a scholar trained at uh, at the feet of, I believe it was the Rabbi Gamaliel, uh, etc. You know his his uh, resume, as it were. Paul, he didn't give a rip about any of those things. Paul just wanted people to know Jesus. And so he says, I'm the least. Wow, God picked me. And considering this, Dr. Jones, God rest his soul, said this, and I, I just want to read it to you, taking no credit, uh, not going to lit in this thing. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Brad Starnes did not say this. He said, it is a bad day in the life of any Christian when he forgets his origin, when he forgets the whole of the pit of which he has been digged. This does not mean that we should look perpetually backwards and become morbid and forever be reminding ourselves of our sins. Rather, the essence of the Christian position is that we should always realize that it is by grace we are saved that we are what we are solely and entirely by the grace of God. If we fail to do so, we shall lose the element of thanksgiving and praise in our Christian witness. Martin Lloyd-Jones is reminding us, as Paul has said here, it's by grace. It was by grace God saved us. It's by grace God called uh, those that he did call in the ministry. We, we have nothing to brag about, nothing to glory in, um, nothing to say, look at me, but rather we should simply glory in Christ. Our boast should be in Christ. God help us. And so we continue he says, Lisa, is this grace given? He said, this is a grace. It's a blessing. Now, what is it specifically? Not just a minister, but go on. He says, that I should preach. Who's I? Paul. Should do what? What? Preach. Okay. Among the Gentiles. Who? The Gentiles. What? The unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul saw himself as the apostle to the Gentiles as the one of which God had called specifically to carry the gospel to the non-Jewish people. And so when we consider that Paul wrote this letter to a predominantly Gentile church, it makes perfect sense that Paul saw himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. And let me say that. I shouldn't have worded it that way. Not that he saw himself, but that he knew that's who God had called him to, was to the Gentiles. And again, he considered it a blessing, not a burden, though it was most certainly a burden. I mean, Paul was jailed. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. And lest, not, lest we forget, he ended his journey getting his head cut off outside the gates of Rome because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. He refused to water down the gospel in order to appease the culture because Paul was more concerned with appeasing the Christ. And that's a different topic for a different day, but a passionate one at that. Okay, so that 
I should preach among the Gentiles, again, who are Gentiles, anybody that's not Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Okay, it's pretty, pretty easy to explain. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable means unknowable. In other words, when we consider the riches of Christ, we, we cannot ever comprehend all that is Christ. When we meditate on Christ, we never fail to find new mercies and wonderful riches that we had previously not or fully discovered before. It is a well that has no bottom. It is a bank account that has no end. It is a road that can never be finished. We think of the richness of his mercy. What about it? Well, his mercy endureth forever, and it is new each morning. Every day that anyone does not wake up in hell, which is what we deserve, that is another day that the mercy of God has been shed on that individual, and all of us are in that number. And Paul has all these things in mind when he says, I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, I'm preaching everything about Christ, his person and his work, but at the same time, I'll never be done because you can never get to the end. It's unknowable, the riches, the depth, the mass of Christ. Oh, gosh. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. It... it, it it truly, and if you know me personally, you know this is a shocker, but it truly brings me at a loss for words when I read this precious, beautiful verse, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What about the unsearchable riches is Christ himself? Can we find anything or anyone better than Christ or the excellency of the knowledge of him? No, of course not. His riches in his character, his love that sent the Son to die on the cross, his peace that passes all understanding, his joy that is unspeakable, but it is also full of glory. All of this and more makes up everything that is Christ in his person and, yes, my friends, in his work. No wonder Paul said it's unsearchable. It's rich. It's deep. It's wide. Deep and wide, as the old song says. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you could preach a sermon about the person and work of Christ every day from here to eternity, and you would never finish it. Never. If you did, you did something wrong. Because how deep, how vast, how unsearchable, unknowable, unfathomable are the riches of Christ. Truthfulness. He is rich in truthfulness because he is the way, the truth, and the life. We must consider that his riches are unsearchable. They cannot be fully known or appreciated on this side of eternity. And it's no wonder that Paul said elsewhere we see through a glass dimly. We only have but a portion, a small piece of the riches of Christ that we can apprehend in this life. However, I have to believe that in our eternal state of glorification, or as the song says, when we all get to heaven, those of us that are saved, we will behold him as he is, and that mystery, that unsearchable richness of his person and work, 
it's gonna it's gonna fully click and finally click and his glory will be fully shown what a day that will be but i'll tell you what he couldn't do that to us now because i think we'd go crazy i think if god peeled back just a smidgen more of his glory and let you and i see just a little bit more of his uncertainty it would blow our mind it would blow our mind we could not physically handle it i think you'd end up in a psych ward i'm serious there's so much about we know about christ from the word of god and it's glorious and it's beautiful oh for a thousand tongues to sing but at the same time there's so much we don't know about Christ. In fact, the Bible says that if all the things Christ did were written in the books of the world, they wouldn't be able to contain them. The unsearchable riches. What about the unsearchable riches of his grace? That he would save a dirtbag like Brad Starnes. And you say, well, I'm not a dirtbag. Well, biblically you are. The Bible says our works of righteousness are filthy rags. How deep and how rich is a grace that would save somebody like me? I don't know, but I'm enjoying it. I sure am enjoying it. And then we continue on. I I mean, honestly, I have barely scratched the surface of verse 8. And I'm going to apologize now. I, I don't have the vocabulary to fully unpack that. But we'll just glory in it. You can forgive me and we'll move on. We go on to verse 9. And to make all men see. Oh, glorious, glorious thought that is. That's what the church is to be about. Paul says, and to make, and so his job is to preach among the Gentiles, and, and, to do what? To make all men see. This is the heartbeat of the evangelist, the desire of the earnest believer To make all men see. To see what? Well, what did he just finish talking about? Christ. Okay, then put it together. To make all men see Christ. To make all men see Christ. And he goes on to see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The mystery of the gospel. So in other words, to make all men see the fellowship or the administration. How it works. The gospel. But you could say, as I just said, to make all men see Christ. That'd be a shorter way of saying the same thing because Christ is the gospel. H.B. Uh, Charles Jr. said it best. Christianity is Christ and Christ is God. And so to make all men see the fellowship of the, mis- of the mystery. That word fellowship, of course, means administration, participation. To make all men see. Why why can't men see now? Because they are blinded by sin. Paul said in another place that he preaches warning every man. We talk about I once was blind, but now I see. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22, the famous passage that was preached when Charles Haddon Spurgeon bowed the knee to Christ, says this, Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Look, see. And Paul says, hey, I want to make all men see the fellowship of the mystery. 
the words translated to make everyone see really means in the Greek to shine as a luminous body does to illuminate, to impart light as a candle does to those on whom it shines and as God does to people's mind and as the gospel does, which it is a light shining in a dark place. Hence the apostle in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 speaks of the what? Light of the gospel. Church is compared to a candlestick in the book of Revelation, ministers of stars, and their office is to dispense light. The light imparted by the gospel was knowledge to illuminate, to teach. And so Paul says, I want to shine the mystery of the gospel, the person and work of Christ for all men upon all men. That was his heart. That was the purpose of Christ in Paul's preaching. Notice the next phrase. What is the fellowship of the mystery? It's a profound statement. The mystery that the gospel has been hidden by God from humanity until such an appointed time as this. It was hidden in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, yes, men could be saved in the Old Testament same way they're saved today, by faith in God. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. But the point is that the fullness, the fullness of the gospel in the person and work of Jesus Christ was concealed in the Old Testament. There were shadows, there were types, there were little glimpses. I believe Isaiah got the closest when he, uh, closest in Isaiah 6, okay, when he saw the glory of the Lord fill the temple. But, but they didn't have the fullness and the benefits of that fullness. But yet in Christ, it's been done. This participation, the benefaction, the intercourse of it, to take part in this mystery is to what? To be born again. And this is what Paul desires for all men to see. And so what's necessary for us to be like Paul in the sense of to desire for all men to see? Well, first of all, Paul had to have compassion. Just like Matthew 9, when Jesus had compassion on the lost. Number two, Paul had to have compulsion. Like Jeremiah 29, when he said, I've got fire in my bones. And number three, Paul had to have constancy. Like 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he was determined to know nothing but Christ crucified and to preach that. And so Paul, I said all that to say this, to really unpack that verse that verse, excuse me, that Paul's desire was to shine the gospel on all men. And that's God's desire, and that should be our desire. And so that is verse 9. Now we move to verse 10. He goes on to more about the purpose. He says, why? To the intent, for the reason, that now unto the principalities and powers. Now we've seen those words before. It means spiritual powers in high places. Could refer to angels, could refer to demons, could refer to both in heavenly places that might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So God uses the gospel and his salvation of the church in order to fully reveal his wisdom to the angels in heaven. Now that makes perfect sense when we consider 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, that says this, To them it is revealed, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, space, things which angels desire to look into. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 12. And so even the angels do not understand the, uh, the idea of redemption or salvation. They want to. They desire to. But they have no choice of that because we know when the angels fell, their fate was sealed. They were going to be tormented in eternal flames, those that followed Satan, the third of the angels. They have no chance of redemption, being bought back, being forgiven. They desire to look into salvation. They desire, think about that. God is so wise that even the angels cannot figure God out. That is amazing. Uh, so often we have this idea of God and we put him in a little box and the only box that God fits into is the Bible because it's inspired and inerrant. But in another sense, we, we, we limit God. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that the angels who have been with him for thousands of years, they don't even have him figured out. How glorious is that? How amazing is that? That he said, God, Paul said, God is doing these things to the intent or for the purpose to make known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places by the church, he's using the church, how? By saving individuals, and when you become saved, you become part of the body of Christ, a.k.a. the church. His wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, it's multifaceted. It's not just simple wisdom. God is, God's wisdom is multifaceted. It's amazing. It's given unto the church by the word of God and it's it's even driving the angels uh, bonkers a little bit if you will they can't figure it out and he says according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in other words God's purpose is all wrapped up in Christ everything Paul's been saying is wrapped up in Christ the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord once again, quoting H.B. Charles Jr., Christianity is Christ and Christ is God. In whom, in who, in Christ, verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I have access to God by faith in and through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus opened the door of redemption for sinful man to have access to God. Once again, that's wisdom that even the angels can never comprehend, though as First Peter tells us, they desire to look into. And Paul said that through these uh, things that God is doing through the church, he's revealing it to them. Now you see why Paul used the word unsearchable, unknowable, unimaginable riches of Christ. You, you, you could spend an hour on this podcast and podcast and not even man not even scratch the surface. And so I realize that this has been a very difficult passage because this is a very deep passage, but you saw how I tried to break it down piece by piece. 
who, what, when, where, asking those questions, um, constantly referring back to the previous verses. And so I pray that it will be a blessing to you and that you will continue to join us as we walk through the book of Ephesians. God bless you.